Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and welcome to our third of eight division-by-division recaps of the 2021 NFL Draft. Today's stop, the AFC East. And joining us to analyze the draft halls of the Jets, Patriots, Dolphins, and Bills is honorary friend of the pod, Connor Rogers, lead NFL draft analyst for Bleacher Report and the co-host of the Badlands podcast, which is a must-listen for all New York Jets fans. What's up, Connor? David, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Uh, you're very welcome, Connor. It's always a treat having a talented guy like you on the program. And uh, let's uh, start out with the team that uh, you spend the most time covering, the uh, New York Jets. And uh, a month and a half before the draft, it became apparent that the Jets would take Zach Wilson with the second overall pick. And that's exactly what they did. Personally, I would have taken either Justin Fields or Trey Lance ahead of Zach Wilson, but you're a better evaluator of game tape than I am, and you had Zach Wilson as the best of the three non-Trevor Lawrence quarterbacks in the draft. Why was Zach Wilson the right choice for the Jets to bet their long-term future on? Well, I think when you look at it, it comes down to what they want to do on the offensive side of the ball. And, I, and I'm with you that you could easily make an argument for Justin Fields. You can easily make an argument for Trey Lance now. You know, when you look at it, I had Wilson as the third overall player in this draft. Uh, Fields is the fourth overall player, and Lance is the fifth overall player. So obviously a loaded quarterback class when you have four quarterbacks in the top five. I've never even come close to having that before. Now, what I'll say is I'd rather – we'll go by this process more of elimination rather than start with Wilson. And I think with Trey Lance, you know, obviously there was significant risk there, and, and I don't think the risk is as high But in terms of how the league looked at it. You know, coming out of the FCS, about 319 passing attempts – not a gigantic sample size, did not get a season this year because of the, you know, the, of course, where he plays, they had to move their season. And then when you look at it, you just wonder when will he be ready and that he needs the best of the best coaching where the 49ers can take that risk. But for the New York Jets, I think they were trying to mitigate as much of that risk as they could. And with Lance, it's more projection than what you actually got to see on tape, where with Wilson, yes, there are injuries throughout that impacted some of his film, but he's been playing for, you know, three years now, essentially. So when you look at it, I think that was the ultimate risk side of taking Lance and why the Jets felt like they couldn't afford to do it, but why, on the on the other side, Lance can absolutely be a huge reward for a team like San Francisco. And then when you look at Justin Fields, I think it comes down to, once again, what you want to do on the offensive side of the ball. I think Fields is a bigger-bodied, better runner. Um, he has, a you know, obviously a power arm that's accurate at all three levels. And I think he takes a little bit more to get that thing uncorked. And what I mean by that is Fields is, you know, going to hold the ball a little longer Meanwhile, and Wilson has this habit of this, too. All young quarterbacks really do. Trevor Lawrence has this habit as well. But with Wilson, it was that lightning release that really sold him. The, the fact that you see how compact the mechanics are and how quickly the ball can get out if you coach him to that point. With bigger-bodied quarterbacks like Fields, like Trevor Lawrence, it's more of a bazooka that they got to load up a little bit and can be delayed a little longer. And obviously, those guys have incredible arms. But that's and the, on the flip side you get more size in their game. With Wilson, he's a little bit more of a thinner frame, but everything is just so much more compact and quicker. So I think that's something the Jets really, really liked with him. Obviously, he's athletic. I thought the ball placement vertically was the best in this class. Some of the throws over 20 yards are just magnificent, and that's an area he really excelled in. I think he had 12 touchdowns and only two interceptions when pushing the ball down the field on those 20-plus throws. So for the Jets that want to run, a wide zone run game and work off of play action, the pass game, cut the field in half, get him throwing on the move. They felt like he checked every single box at a very high level with those things, whether it's the athleticism, whether it's the release, whether it's the quick timing and accuracy, which is so vital for their offense. And 
And that's why we're where we are, where Zach Wilson went number two overall and starts, you know, he's the new face of their franchise. Indeed he is. And with their second first round pick, the Jets moved up nine spots and surrendered both of their third round picks to select USC guard Elijah Vera Tucker. And get this, the night before the draft, I told someone that the Jets' dream haul on day one would be the quarterback of their choice, which was obviously Zach Wilson and Vera Tucker. And the dream came true. Still, some people I respect absolutely ridiculed the Jets for surrendering both of their third rounders to get somebody at a position that's not necessarily as highly valued as other positions. But that said, I strongly disagree with that notion. Why are those folks dead wrong? Well, I think when you look at it, a lot of those folks that have those opinions, and I understand it, are looking at that more of an analytical lens of the value of the compensation involved rather than the players that were, you know, actually taken. And I think what I mean by that is now the players that were taken on the Vikings side, starting with Derisaw, I love this move for the Vikings. I thought they did a really nice job, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was the wrong move for the Jets or the Jets come out of this as a loser. And what I mean by that is you can't just evaluate every situation the same for each team. The Jets were not going to take Christian Derrissaw at 23 or sit there at 23 and pray he makes it to them because the Jets are not in the market for a left tackle, right? They have Mekhi Becton, and they think he's going to be the guy for a very long time. Now, you can make the argument that maybe they could flip Derrissaw over to right tackle. That transition's harder than people realize, but he's athletic enough to do it. But they have George Fant there, who was not the problem last year. Their problems lied on the interior of the offensive line, and they needed to solve that. And in this draft... I thought it was a pretty good center class. I thought it was a good offensive line class as a whole. But there's a difference between a top-tier player and a dart throw. And I think with Vera Tucker, he was the only guard I gave a first-round grade to in this entire draft class. Now, he's coming off a season where he played a very good left tackle. And before that, he played a phenomenal left guard. So I think for the Jets, they've seen it on tape already, right? With Vera Tucker, they've seen him excel at left guard. They've seen him excel at left tackle. He's going to play left guard next to Makai Becton. And now you have what you consider a green area or even an icy blue area, however you want to color code it, of this roster. You sit there and look at left tackle and left guard for the next eight years and go, wow, that's something that we feel really good about. That's a strong point of our team. We can run the ball to the left side. We feel like the blind side of our quarterback is now protected. And we feel like these guys are big and athletic where they can win in the power run game. But this is a team that's going to run a lot of wide zone. They can get out of their stance and on the move and create angles for those outside run plays and create chunk plays. So I think when you look at it with Vera Tucker, he was on a different level than a lot of the guards and then all of the guards in this draft. Now the jets paid a premium to go get him, but at the end of the day, you have to pay a premium to go get good players. The price was that high to go from 23, you know, up to 14 and, and they got a fourth round pick back. Nobody talks about that. It's not like they just gave up two threes and swapped first rounders. They got the fourth rounder in return, and you look at the Jets' draft, they think they got a starting running back in Michael Carter in the fourth round. So everything needs nuance and context from a wide lens of the entire draft and a small lens of the team-by-team basis. This is a situation for me. I think both teams made out really, really well and solved their needs, which were much different from one another in a very successful manner. Oh, absolutely, 100%. And this is a typical Joe Douglas move. Joe Douglas comes from the Baltimore and Philadelphia Eagles trees, and those are two teams that really, really invested in the offensive line from the starting five to the depth and the project practice squad guys. And um, 
one of the main knocks on Zach Wilson was he had the best offensive line in college football, and it was like a disturbing mystery to many. Geez, how is he going to fare under pressure? Joe Douglas doesn't want to take that chance. He wants to give Zach Wilson the best possible offensive line right away, and Elijah Bear Tucker is a guy that is was viewed as a top 50 talent, a Pro Bowl level player at guard. Those are guys you trade up for, especially after drafting a rookie quarterback. It was a no-brainer. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, David. That's exactly it. When you look at it, a lot of people like to create holes in, in arguing different players, right? They're like, well, he can't do this or he's going to struggle with that. Well, I understand quarterbacks need to succeed under pressure at the next level because it doesn't matter if you have five pro bowlers on the offensive line, you're going to get pressured at some point. But at the end of the day, you're making life easier on your investment. It's a chain link reaction. If the guards are really bad, and the rookie quarterback's probably going to be really bad. And we saw this with Sam Darnold for a long time. They're not making that mistake again. They're saying, we can't have a, a weakness on our interior offensive line, a glaring one like we've had, because it'll absolutely impact or, or disturb the quarterback's development and success. So I think when you're looking at it with Wilson, they're trying to really, really minimize all of those factors that can hold him back from being the best version of himself. They went out and gave Corey Davis, a, one of the best contested catch wide receivers in the NFL last year, Good money on free agency from day one. You have another guy that you think can be that similar player in Denzel Mims. Now you have two outside targets that you can throw those back shoulder balls to. And then you went and you still have Jamison Crowder in the slot. You got Elijah Moore in the draft as well, who's absolutely electric on the inside. You're Once again, you're just stacking the deck with weapons and assets for your rookie quarterback that you think this will help him. This will accelerate his development down the long run. Oh, absolutely, and you mentioned Elijah Moore, and he's exactly who I wanted to talk about next. He was an absolute steal at 34 overall, in my opinion. Uh, last year at Ole Miss, he broke uh, A.J. Brown's uh, single-season school reception record with uh, 86 last year, and most people in the NFL had him as like the third or fourth best wide receiver in this draft, and they didn't think he would fall that far. Uh, how Kadarius Tony was taken over him, I will never, ever, ever, ever know. And when this pick was made, I immediately had a metaphorical orgasm, so to speak, imagining an 11 personnel package with more on the slot, as you said, along with Denzel Mims and Corey Davis on the boundary. Do you think Elijah Moore beats out Jameson Crowder for that wide receiver three role in training camp? You know, it's a great question. And I don't know if the technical term of it is beat out, right? I look at it and think maybe they are going to both have roles that are differentiated from one another, but also at the end of the day, still meaningful, impactful roles. Now, at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. You're always going to look at it from who's the number three wide receiver. That's the world we live in, David, where you sit there and go, you know, where are the targets? And where the, where's the usage? Where's the roles and personnel? Everything like that, of course, where, you know, when they run three wide receiver sets, is it more Crowder in the slot? So I, I think Crowder, if he's, they don't move on from his salary to upgrade corner or whatever it may be then I think Crowder has a stronghold on the slot going into the season because he's so reliable. He's been really one of the only bright spots of the Jets for the last two years. Now, that doesn't mean Moore won't be an impactful player because the skill sets do vary in a sense where they didn't draft Elijah Moore because a lot, just Jamison Crowder is a free or just because Jamison Crowder is a free agent after this year. They drafted Elijah Moore because they don't have enough speed to kill over the top vertically. They don't have a player that can create underneath with the ball in his hand or, or catch a screen and create his own yards, make a guy miss and get up field. They don't have someone like that. And when it comes down to it, Mims and Corey Davis are contested catch monsters on the outside that are excellent run blockers. That's vital for this scheme. And those are great roles. And what I just said about Moore doesn't take away from those two guys, but that's a different role in this offense. 
Crowder, for as good as he is, reliable, moving the chains, finding the soft spot of the zone, he's not necessarily somebody that you you go, oh, look out. Like, he's going to take the top off your defense. You need a safety to carry with him because he's that fast anymore. It's more lateral agility slot getting open, and that's still valuable, and that can really help a guy like Zach Wilson. But with more, you can get him involved on jet sweeps. You can manufacture touches to him, and you could send him on go routes to create and clear out space or even throw him the ball, obviously, in deep ball situations. So I think it's going to be a transition period. I've said it like this. Will more be absent from the field week one? No, he's going to have designated plays. Will Crowder just disappear? Absolutely not. But if it got to the point where we're in week 12, week 13 of the season, and the Jets are, you know, figuring themselves out a little bit, right? What is Wilson succeeding with? What is the backbone of our offense? What's gone well for us and what hasn't gone well? That's where I think you see Moore's role start to ramp up down the stretch. Very, very good point, Connor. Now on to the New England Patriots, who with their first round pick selected who they hope will be their quarterback of the future in Matt Jones. I absolutely did not by the buzz that the 49ers would draft such a limited quarterback after giving up such a fortune to move up all the way from 12 to 3. And if you listen to some folks on draft Twitter, senile callers of Mac Jones' prototype and pedigree are going the way of the dodo, so to speak, in the NFL. Why do you think the Patriots spent a super high pick on such a quarterback, and do you expect him to start over Cam Newton at some point this season? It's a great question. And now I think the way I look at it is, they spent the pick because they. St- this is still a question mark of their future, right? When you look at it, they, now they were never going to necessarily pay the price to move to go get one because I think they were just priced out and didn't have interest in doing that. And they do think Cam has a better grasp of this offense going into year two where Cam is going to have a grip on this job. But with Mac Jones, he's a guy that they feel like is worth it at 15. Now, he really reminds me of this Andy Dalton, Chad Pennington level player. And I, I know the Chad Pennington comp was, uh, you know, Nate Tyson said that on Twitter before. And it really caught my eye where I looked at it and went, wow, that's, that's really what you look at the, the, Matt, the souped up version of Matt Jones, right? In a really great situation for him, he has the IQ of Pennington where he doesn't turn the ball over. He gets the ball to all the right places. He's accurate, but he's just not an athlete that's going to create plays. And he's not this guy that's going to constantly push the ball vertically down the field with this juiced up arm strength. So I think we'll see Mac Jones at some point this year, David. I don't think they're rushing to hand him the reins, to be honest with you. Is Now, Cam is a guy tradition in more recent years, not early in his career when he was just unbel- you know, unstoppable. Traditionally, could get worn down, right? He takes big shots in the run game. Uh, he's had some really tough injuries that, you know, whether they repeat themselves or other things cramp up, I don't know what it is. It just feels like Cam naturally gets banged up in more recent years where maybe that's when they naturally hand the ball over to Mac Jones. But I don't think they're going into the season looking to just have him be the starter. I think it'll be a slow transition. And on day two, the Patriots double-dipped on their defensive front. In the second round, they traded up to take Alabama defensive tackle Christian Barmore, and they got very, very good value in the late third round with Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. So you add Ronnie Perkins to make a three-man pass rushing rotation off the edge with Matt Judon and Chase Winovich, and you now add Barmore, who could push the pocket from the inside along with Dietrich Wise. Is this the scariest group of pass rushers Bill Belichick has had in quite a while? It's a good group, and Judon is really a big ad, right, on the edge. That's something they needed. Barmore, I think the best is ahead of him. He really had a great close to the season for Alabama, where down the stretch you could see it against Notre Dame. The light had really, really come on for him. So I think it's a really nice group, and Belichick is always going to look to, you know, 
have this group overloaded with rotational talent that they have. And you bring up Perkins, obviously he's somebody that's an effort rusher, but they always get the most out of those guys. They, they don't necessarily need the most agile, twitched up, skillful kind of guy, but more somebody they can coach up to use his hands, get off blocks and play 120 miles an hour. Chase Winovich has been a little bit like that for them as well. So I think they have a nice group in the front four. I think, you know, obviously they're a team that they're getting a little older in the secondary at certain spots, and they're going to look to, you know, protect that unit in the long run. And they're a team that will not try to ever surrender anything in the ground game. That's why they always invest into their defensive line. So I think they did a nice job there. And I think Barmore, I wasn't as high on him as a lot of people were. I never thought he was a first round player. And obviously the NFL backed away from that as well. But if you're looking for a place that can coach up and get that talent out of him, in more consistent stretches, not just three games here, three games there, but more consistent stretches. New England is traditionally a spot, a good spot for guys like that. And now on to the uh, Miami Dolphins, who kicked off their draft by reuniting Tua Tungavoiloa with the most explosive weapon he had at Alabama in Jalen Waddell. As special as a talent as Waddle is, some criticized the Dolphins for trading back to 12 and then subsequently back up to sits to take somebody that they didn't view as an equal talent to either Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. How big, in your view, was the drop-off of talent from Pitts and Chase to Jalen Waddle, or was there any drop-off at all? You know, I don't think it's as big of a deal as a lot of people are making it out to be. I think that Jamar Chase is in his own category. He's the best receiver in this draft. Kyle Pitts, it's a different conversation because as much as people want to equate him to being a wide receiver weapon, he is a tight end. And then I think when you look at this, you know, Waddle is the speed threat of the class, right? He's the closest thing to Tyreek Hill that we've seen in a long time. And I love the player. If he could stay healthy, I think his speed is an absolute game changer. It's true speed in the receiving game. It's not just catch and run speed. It's I can beat two guys over the top. I can catch the ball and get upfield. Excellent special teams returner. So for the Dolphins, I, I thought they it's hard, right? I think they did a really nice job accumulating more draft capital and then still finding their way up. I still would have liked to see them come out of this draft with Jamar Chase somehow. And I wonder if they overplayed their hand just a little bit. It makes you wonder at the all at the end of the, all of this, are we going to look back at it and say, well, Waddle and essentially an extra first rounder is what they got because they had to move up from 12 to six that cost them one. Will Waddle and that other player look better than just Jamar Chase at three? That's the question I have. I think Waddle's going to be a very good player. I don't know if I like the fit with Tua, to be honest with you. I know people will laugh at because, well, oh, they've they played together before or anything like that. Well, you know, Waddle was the guy lower uh, on the roster, on the depth chart at that time for them. So it's not like a taking a Devontae Smith where you've already seen the results before. I, I like Waddle a lot. I think Miami's done a lot of really good things in this draft as a whole. I, I just wonder, will they regret getting a little cute with it and moving around when they could have stayed at three and gotten a guy that I think could be, you know, really that Julio Jones decade long impact in Jamar Chase. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, Connor. And with their second first round pick, the Dolphins made a move that I really love. And uh, that was making Jalen Phillips the first edge rusher off the board. Many people around the NFL reportedly considered Phillips to not only be the best pass rusher in this class, but the best defensive player in this class, period. They added that he probably would have been a top 10 pick if it wasn't for his alarming injury history. Do you share that view? Yeah, I do. I love this guy. I think when you look at Phillips, this is the edge rusher that they've really needed there, honestly. They, they've had a lot of guys that can set the edge and stop the run and do all those things really well. They haven't had a guy that is, you know, 6'5", 260, gets off the ball, can bend around the corner or split a double team, cross face. 
uh, like Jalen Phillips. The talent is just, honestly, David, you just don't find guys like this. Or you don't coach guys into being this. They either have it or they don't. And he's got all the talent in the world. And he really figured it out at Miami, which, you know, at Miami University. And now it's funny, he stays with the Dolphins. So this was a great pick. I loved this pick. I thought the value was spot on. I thought the need was spot on. I really, even with the injury concerns, I don't think he should have made it this far, honestly. If the Giants didn't move out of the pick, I could have said the Giants should have taken him at 11. There's a lot of places I, I thought he could have gone. If Minnesota didn't trade out, I thought he could have gone to Minnesota. I think 18 is well worth the risk because he has talent to be a top five, top 10 player in this entire draft class. And it feels like he's the green light has come on for him. It would almost be surprising if the momentum doesn't keep swinging upward for Jalen Phillips. So huge need for the Dolphins. And I think he quietly could be the defensive rookie of the year. Very, very much so. I'm not willing to bet against uh, Jalen Phillips one iota. And now on to the reigning AFC East champion Buffalo Bills, who after seeing Patrick Mahomes have all day to throw against them in the AFC Championship, they double down on the pass rush with their first and second round picks in Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham, respectively. Do those additions give the Bills exactly what they need to get over the hump and reach the Super Bowl this season? You know, it's interesting. I think these are two totally different picks. Now, the Bills had needs here, and I think with Boogie, he's more refined in a sense that you could put him on the edge and say, hold the point of attack and give you a little bit power rusher. He kind of plays a finesse game for a guy with a power body. So I wonder what kind of player he'll be in the NFL. But I think the floor is pretty high with him, where he can come into Buffalo and really not look lost, right? Is he going to give you 12 sacks out of the gate? That's not who he is. But can he stop the run? And can he create some pressure one one-on-one situations? Absolutely. Now, with Rousseau, total boomer bust kind of pick, right, where we didn't see him play this year. He played all over in his one-year wonder kind of season, uh, you know, obviously where he played nose tackle, he played on the edge, he played uh, multiple alignments up front, and, and one with length. He's not really explosive. He more wins with – I mean, the guy's like six foot six, six foot seven, long arms, uh, can swim over defenders, and – really knows how to use that length and started to really figure out how to use his hands down the stretch run to get off block. So I wonder where they're going to play him and what they're going to do with him as he continues to get bigger and stronger and fill out that frame. But for the Bills, they're a team that didn't have a lot of needs. They're such a good roster. They've done such a good job there for a long time that they were one of the rare teams that can afford this luxury of taking the swing on Rousseau. I would not have done it in round one. I'll say that. I didn't think he was a top 50 player. I think there's way too much projection here. The testing really scares me because it matches the tape, right? That's something that people don't talk about. They don't realize, well, you know, testing numbers don't get caught up. The guy had 13 sacks, whatever you want to say. Well, how is he winning, right? And I just didn't think he won with explosiveness for such a big guy. So I'm very curious to see how his development goes. The Bills are great at developing young players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I think overall, this is a good landing spot for him. I thought the pick was a little early, but I think they got a little bit more of a safer player in Boogie Basham later on. He is Connor Rogers, ladies and gentlemen, lead NFL draft analyst for Bleach Report and co-host of the Badlands podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Connor J. Rogers. And Connor, it's now time to play one of our favorite games on this program, and it's called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I will mention the name of a prospect that we haven't dived into deeply yet, and you will uh, let me know whether you think I'm telling the truth or exaggerating, and you explain why briefly. Starting with the Jets, Michael Carter will become the Jets' lead running back at some point this season. Truth or exaggeration? 
I think your truth here, I think you're spot on. I think when you look at it, they're always going to be a committee backfield. That's how the Jets are going to operate under LaFleur. You see the Packers do it, his brother's team. You see the Niners do it, the team he, he's came, he came from. You know, they're going to rotate their backs. Ty Johnson, Michael Carter, we'll see how P. Ryan battles it out. Tevin Coleman, if he could ever stay healthy again. Uh, with all those question marks around all those guys, Carter really should at least have equal share of the top reps. On to the Patriots. Ramondre Stevenson will at the very least become part of a one-two punch for the Patriots at running back in 2022. Truth or exaggeration? I think it's exaggeration. I think now I, I would like to see him get in there. I don't think the Patriots will rush him in there overall. They have a lot of bodies in that backfield. That's kind of how New England traditionally runs things. So I'm kind of interested to see how it goes. Now, in theory on talent, I would put him in that role. What a strange team, though. Damian Harris, James White, Sony Michelle. Yeah, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson could be a better workhorse than maybe all of those guys. So you, you might not be exaggerating, but I think out of the gate, he won't be in that one-two punch just yet, probably down the stretch. On to the Dolphins, where Javon Holland is the final piece of the puzzle that will make the Dolphins secondary go from very good to elite. Whew, that's tough. They've cut some veterans from this group where I don't think it'll be an elite secondary. I think it's a pretty good one. Now, what can make them elite instead of the actual players they've added to that secondary is if Jalen Phillips can get pressure up front. That's what they need, right? They have Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are great corners. They're going to see if Noah Igbenogany, you know, turns it on to be this really, really good other, you know, I don't know if we'll play Nick have Justin Coleman there. You know, Brandon Jones at safety, Eric Rowe, they have a lot of a lot of depth in this secondary, but and it's talented enough to be a top five unit. What I wonder is, is the pass rush finally going to help them out? And, and Jalen Phillips should be that guy. So I'm not looking at Holland to be this big piece. I think he's a nice piece. I don't think he's a game changing piece. I think he's a nice piece. But I am looking at the pass rush up front to help out those corners and, and elevate them. And last but not least with the Buffalo Bills, either Spencer Brown or Tommy Doyle will be starting at one of the two tackle spots for the Bills in 2022. Truth or exaggeration? I I think that's truth with Spencer Brown. I I do. You look at the, you know, obviously they have Deion Dawkins there, but I think they're going to groom Spencer Brown to be the starting right tackle. Now you said 2022 and I think you're spot on there. I think, I think you're going to look at Spencer Brown being the starting right tackle in 2022. And last but not least, before we let you go, Connor, it's time to play a game called Absolutes. And in this game, uh, you just named me three of your absolute observations or as close to that as possible in these uh, AFC East draft classes, starting with your favorite pick in the entire AFC East in this draft. Ooh, wow, favorite pick. That is, I'll call it a tie. I'll say Elijah Moore with the Jets at 34 and Jalen Phillips to the Dolphins at 18. I thought those were just value and need, and they both knocked it out of the park. What about the most puzzling pick in the AFC East? Wow. You know, I, I don't like the Rousseau pick. I, I don't, I think it's too early and maybe he'll be a star under that defense. You know, it's it, the new England didn't trade up for Mac Jones. Otherwise I wouldn't have, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't think Mac will ever be a bad player in the NFL. I just don't think he's the kind of quarterback that elevates your team. I think Rousseau, it was just early. And they're a team that they have really figured it out, the Bills. They draft well. They do free agency very well. They're well coached. They, they know how to scheme up. They've developed a young quarterback. Brandon Bean is, I think, quietly one of the best GMs in football. I, this felt like a, a little bit of a, a reach they just didn't have to do, to be honest with you. 
Who was the day three steal in the AFC East? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Uh, let's see. I mean, we talked glowingly about Michael Carter. That seemed like, you know, I don't know if it's a steal because he's a running back in the fourth round. So that's one that you look at and go, well, you might be a starter. And when you get a starter on day three, that that really says something. It, it really does. When you look at Cam McGrone, uh, who went to New England, the linebacker from Michigan. I think he's a couple of years away. From, you know, obviously a player with not a ton of film, but he's a big time recruit that has a lot of talent that kind of fits what they want to do. So that wouldn't surprise me being a nice steal. You look at the Bills. You know, you brought up Tommy Doyle and Spencer Brown. They kind of did this double dipping stab where they wanted one of Rousseau and Basham to hit on the edge and one of Brown and Doyle to hit a tackle. I think that'll work out for them. So I'll give you, I'm just giving you one of each here. I like that strategy as well. And then, you know, you look at the Dolphins. Uh, I, I think Eichenberg can be a, an eight-year starting tackle, and they got him in round two. So that was something they quietly really, really needed, and they did a great job. Thank you very much, Connor. You can follow him on Twitter at Connor J. Rogers. And that's it for today here on Sports Crush. We'll be back in the coming days with more draft class recaps, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Connor. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom59. For Connor Rogers, this is David Cromwell saying so long and stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and if you want to stop wearing a mask, Please get vaccinated right now so we can fill every football stadium in America come fall. Thank you very much, everybody.